0: This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Final hour of our show on this Thursday, a busy Thursday. Dan Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN, 800 3776 That's the telephone number. A little bit of everything tonight, little World Series, little Knickerbockers, and, of course, the Giants and the Jets coming up on Sunday. Jets returning from the bye week. And our coverage will begin at 11 a.m. right here on 98.7 with the pregame show myself and our next guest, of course, he is Greg Buttle. And this is a, a, a big occasion because since you and I have been doing this, which is this is your number six, I believe, this is our first road game. Technically, it's a road game, even though it's the same stadium we go to quite frequently. But we will be out a road game on Sunday. How about that?
1: Yeah, and uh, it, it, really, there's no cost to anybody. How do you like that one?
0: <laughs> Except us, we've got to pay for gas, unfortunately, to uh, trek over to the stadium. Yep. How are you doing? How was, how was the bye week? I missed you for a week.
1: You know, the bye week was great. And um, I can only imagine, you know, because uh, there weren't many bye weeks back when, when I was playing. But uh, point being was, is that if you could get a good good 10 days where you didn't have to beat your body up, It really pays dividends. Normal people, when I say normal people, people that don't play professional football, have no idea how great 10 days off is from physical abuse to your body, especially in the pros, because you can recover. You can recover because you get all treatment and you get the bruises and the aches out. It really is awesome.
0: Well, they, a lot of people look at it as an outsider and say, well, wait a sec, isn't it too early for the bye? It's only six games into the season. Wouldn't you want it a little bit later in the year? But you think about it, these teams and these guys, they report to training camp in July, and the Jets had to report a week earlier than everybody else because they played in the Hall of Fame game. So they've been going hard for three months here. I think they're ready for a week off.
1: Right, I, I would tell you something. I, I said it before. I, I think the NFL should... You know, I, don't, I know they don't want to do it, but they should have the bye week, the, the week before Thanksgiving, and everybody is off the same week, and then everyone has the same equal rest as everybody else, and you go back and play.
0: Well, what's going to happen probably when they add another game to the schedule, which you know is coming down the road, there might even be a second bye week that every team gets during the season because they'd like to drag out the season as long as possible. Take it into, like, late February for all the NFL cares. Why not?
1: well, that might be with the advent of uh, one less uh, preseason game and one added regular season game. But, you know, I'm glad you, we talked about the bye week because I think the bye week is interesting because everyone wants to complain and, and, and moan about the Jets are terrible after the bye. Yeah. And I and I just, just want to bring this up. First of all, the Jets have not been a very good football team over the last 10 years, let's say. Right. And – you know who their, their their opponents have always been after the bye? New England. The Buffalo, the Patriots, the yeah. Eagles. I mean, you've got the best teams in the NFL that you're playing after a bye week, and you're not one of the good teams. No wonder you don't have a good bye week uh, record when you get back.
0: Right. I was looking at it, too, and it's like, oh, well, you know, the Jets have struggled after the bye. It's like, well, breaking news, they struggled before the bye, too. It's got nothing to do with before or after. As you said, you know, they've been a losing team the last few years, but hopefully that's starting to change. And this is a big one this week because I, I, I think it goes without saying that it's a big game. It's a winnable game. But sometimes, when you take on a team like the Giants that are beaten up and missing some key players due to injury, what's the old analogy about the wounded animal being the most dangerous at that point? Right?
1: Yeah, corner corner a rat, put a rat in the corner, you got a problem. But but again, it, it, it's this is a game. This is an NFC out of conference game, and so in reality, it, it, at the end of the day, if the Jets are Tied with somebody, maybe this this victory would be good for them, but and and again, maybe it doesn't mean anything at the end of the day because they, they've got to win in their division, and that's the big important stuff.
0: You know, before you hopped on, I had a call from somebody who was questioning about you know we're getting into the whole rivalry, Jets Giants, and that sort of thing. Now it was a little bit different when you were playing because. You played the Giants in the preseason. Starters played more in the preseason then as opposed to what they do right now. But as far as rivals were concerned, like as a Jet player, did you ever really view the Giants as much of a rival, or was it still like the Miami Dolphins, the Colts, the teams that you played in your division?
1: No, it it was different. It was different from my experience, and that is that in the offseason, uh, you know, we were all hanging out. It was uh, uh, Brian Kelly, you know, and uh, LT and Banks, and everyone's meeting each other, going, you know, out at the bars. And we used to play basketball against each other a lot of times for charity. And so you 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 got to know these guys. You're friendly with them. And really the game came down to just bragging rights because, again, it was out of conference. And you, you wanted to just – you wanted to whoop them up, so – Next time you went out for a drink, they had to buy. So it was a little different. Everybody wants to win a game. But when it really comes down to it, it certainly was really only for the bragging rights of, yeah, we beat you guys again. You know, we slapped you around, and and that was the end of it.
0: Talking with Greg Buttle, he and I have pregame coverage beginning at 11. Jets-Giants coming up on Sunday from MetLife Stadium. All right, it looks as if this is going to be Tyrod Taylor's third straight game. Starting a quarterback for Daniel Jones because it would be probably an upset if Jones is cleared for contact uh, before kickoff. The way this is trending, do the Jets defense do they get a break here? Who do you think is the the quarterback they'd rather see on Sunday, Jones or Tyrod Taylor?
1: Well, I, I I don't know what they would, but he, I would prefer to see Tyrod Taylor. I think I I I, I know Tyrod Taylor. Is is not the same RPO quarterback that Daniel Jones is. Daniel Jones is fleet of foot. Uh, again, there's another quarterback that is a run. He he can run first anytime. He's not. If you're gonna, you think you're gonna trap him. He's taken off. So that's it, That becomes an issue. Tyrod Taylor is not as much. Uh, there are designed plays for for Daniel Jones because he is that good at running the football. Uh, Tyrod Taylor's is a little older, he, you know. It's a little different for him. So, to me, I think in that respect, it's it's better for the Jets. But Tyrod Taylor can play. Don't you know? Don't get him wrong. I mean, hey, listen, they, any team can beat any team. And when you're talking about who the Jets have played, I mean, you're talking about Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Matt Jones, Mahomes, uh, Russell Wilson, Jalen Hurts, all running quarterbacks that can run. And, and do damage to your football team. And I just think Daniel Jones could do more damage than, than uh, Tyrod Taylor.
0: Obviously, when you look at the Jets from an offensive standpoint, I'm sure that we're going to zero in on it on Sunday for the pregame. Two areas that need to be cleaned up, third downs and the red zone. And Nathaniel Hackett talked about that today when he was meeting with the media. You know, he said, starts with him. He's got to do a better job here, but – what do you attribute the difficulties, especially in that red zone area for the last few weeks, that you know they've made things a lot harder on themselves having to settle for field goals instead of putting it in the end zone?
1: They can't run it in the red zone. And look, if you can run the ball in the red zone, that gives you an advantage because now you can go in there with a regular set and throw the ball. And they don't have the, the, the nickel in. And if they decide to put the nickel in, now you can run the ball through the nickel. So it, the, the big deal here is if you can run the ball in the red zone, it opens passing one-on-one. So that, that's the, that's a good thing. You hold linebackers in there a little more because of the run. So instead of zipping out of there and getting into that, that drop, uh, you've got more ability to to throw the ball around. Now, Zach Wilson, again, is it's like um, – It's like throwing darts in the red zone. If you've any, Mm -hmm. if anyone's ever thrown darts and let's say you're going to throw twenties, you got a lot of space for the, for the, for a simple 20, but when you have to throw it into the window of that little red box in the middle, that's a triple 20, that has to be perfect. And, and you have to have perfect timing and you've got to know it. You've got, you, you can't be guessing of who's open or whatever it may be. And, you have to fit the ball in those windows, and I think that's a little difficulty right now and again, it takes a lot of a lot of footwork and uh, it takes a lot of a lot of practice and maybe they're they're coming around to it i I, I think he's been pretty good. he hasn't thrown many interceptions, uh, none in the last three games. so you know the red zone is coming along and and I believe what Salah says they're close because if they're good in the red if they are twenty five percent better in the red zone. They're 5-1, Dan. Mm.
0: No, you're right about that. Now, this Giant defense, they've been coming on the last few weeks, and they've been playing some good football. They've been forcing turnovers, really doing their part to kind of keep the Giants in these games. Because offensively, even with Tyrod the last two weeks, Giants haven't been setting the world on fire. They're averaging 11.5 points a game, but the defense has played well. Wink Martindale likes to bring blitz, zero blitz. How do you think Zach Wilson, going up against a defense like that and a unit like that, applying the pressure, what does he have to do to be successful?
1: Well, he's got to recognize where the blitz is coming from. That's number one. Number two is you better have a little p- protection, and you know, your game plan is going to be one, two, three, throw the ball. And so your, your, your passes from uh, a check down to, to seven yards have to be accurate. And if they're accurate, that's going to kill the blitz. If you're not accurate, they'll blitz all day, and they'll they'll keep coming. And next, you're going to go, you're going to be three and out, and you're going to be putting the ball again.
0: And I'll tell you that you know you can even use the screen game per se to try to combat the blitz.
1: Oh, and isn't it better to always? But only, yeah. Now l- listen, this is this is this is what everyone thinks. Hey, the screens—they should work. No, because if you're blitzing, you're in man-to-man, and if you're in man-to-man, you're hooked up on the back. Screens don't work well against a man-to-man defensive football team because right away that you're you're running right to your back. If you're a linebacker or you're the nickel back, and that back sets there, you're taking off right to them. You're not going to be dropping back into your zone and having to come up and and uh, and and run 13, 15 yards to try to stop a screen. Immediate recognition of a screen is always about man-to-man defense. So. That, that, that's the end of that game.
0: But you could try to throw at a blitz instead of away from it if you want to try to kind of dart your way through it. When they're applying that pressure, you try to throw right in the – let's say if they're coming from one side in particular, you throw right at that side, that's the best way to attack it as opposed to trying to throw away from it, no?
1: Uh, easier said than done, Dan. Well, I mean, sure, easier, easier said, said than done. done but, yeah. that, that blitz guy, That blitz guy's coming. And it's all one-on-one. And it, it, there may be times where there's nobody blocking the guy. So if you're going to try and throw him to the blitz, that guy's going to snap it. You're going to, you're going to have to bring the ball down. It, it, look, it, it, it becomes a, 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 a chicken or egg game. What, what, what's coming first, the quick pass or the blitz? And so you, that's why it's always about preparation. It's how you see it. What is the pre-snap look? And, 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 and if Zach Wilson is able to read the pre-snap look, I will tell you, he'll be fine. If he's not, and Mark Dale's going to throw, throw the book and do zero blitzes at him all the time because he doesn't believe he can get him down the middle, well, then they're going to have a problem. But again, it's, it's, it comes down to there's two sides of the football, and the Jets also have a defense. And, you know, when you take a look at the Jets' defense, and I, I was I was really going over this, I was amazed. Um, they, they they are so good in the second half. Yeah. They have only allowed 28 points after halftime. That's 4.3 points a game.
0: And one touchdown. One touchdown in the second half yes.
1: of games. That's exactly right. And that was towards the end of the game. They were up uh, 24-13. And uh, it was like four minutes to go in the game, and and uh, next thing you know, you have um, uh, Russell Wilson doing stuff, a big play. All right, so they scored a touchdown. But the bottom line was, is the Jets ended up winning the game anyway, and they were ahead. So if you want to get the Jets, you better get her, you better get her done in the first in the first half, because the second half, uh, not many offenses. And I don't care who they're playing, not many offenses have score touchdowns.
0: Well, on the flip side, Jets offense would be best served scoring some touchdowns in the first half because that hasn't happened with a lot of frequency either. So I think that's also an area we'll be speaking about a lot on Sunday morning. Sir, thank you for a couple of minutes as always. Look forward to uh, renewing acquaintances again on Sunday, and I'll see you at the stadium.
1: You got it, buddy. Thanks a lot, and uh, go Jets.
0: All righty. There is our good pal Greg Buttle. He and I have pregame duties beginning at 11 a.m. from MetLife Stadium right here. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Dan Grasa Show on 98.7 ESPN. Take it for about 15 minutes or so more. Then we'll hand things over to Donnie. He's got pregame for you. Rangers and the Edmonton Oilers. Thursday night football is just underway here between the Buccaneers and the Buffalo Bills. No score early on. Tampa Bay... Had their opening drive, could not do anything with it, punted the ball back to the Bills. And you look at Buffalo, look, they're coming off of that loss last week in New England where, you know, they were sleepwalking through the first half and before they finally kind of stepped up, it was too little too late, even though they got that lead there in the fourth quarter, but then allowed Mac Jones and company to come right back down the field and win the football game. You know, something's off with the Bills. I talked about it. You know, missing a guy like Matt Milano, I think, is huge. On that defense, he's kind of like the the heart and soul, not to mention a really, really good football player. Just kind of missing their bark a little bit to me. And, you know, we'll see if that's something that's going to be recaptured at all for them as they move forward through the schedule because a lot of these teams that, let's say, the Jets played early in the season, now teams like the Bills and the Dolphins have to play them, right? Buffalo still has to go to Cincinnati. They have to go to Philadelphia. They've got to go to Kansas City. They've got the Cowboys in their building. They have a trip down to Miami. They have to go out to L.A. to play a Chargers team, which I think are a bunch of underachievers, but on any given day, I guess that they can put a scare into you and maybe even beat you. So Buffalo's got a tough, tough road ahead, and you know the way things are going right now, if they continue to play very inconsistent at this rate, who knows if they're even going to still be amongst the teams that are in the postseason at the end of the year. I, I don't think it's a certainty that you say that this Bills team is is, is a playoff lock. Now, that might have sounded crazy back in the summer, but the way things have played out right now, I don't even know if you could say that they're the best team in their own division, right? I mean, the Jets can play with the Buffalo Bills. Even though Buffalo beat Miami, I think that on any day Miami could go out there and light up this Buffalo Bills team. And then we're going to get into the whole question of, well, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody today, as a matter of fact. You know, has that window closed for the Buffalo Bills to even win a championship? You know, I don't think Jet fans are going to be crying one way or the other if, uh, you know, their time has passed and they're not going to be able to live up to all these expectations. But that's why I got to play these games. We shall see. And for, you know, Tampa Bay, like that NFC South, what a mess it is right now. Like the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers are no better than an average football team. They're terrible in their own building. But right now, the Bucs would be a playoff team. And they're 3-3. Three and three. That's how unimpressive things are on that side of the ledger in the NFL. And that division is just, Carolinas, forget it. They can't win a game. New Orleans is up and down. Tampa Bay is what they are. And then Atlanta, they're 4-3, and three, but they're not a first-place team. Like, you look at the Atlanta Falcons, you say, that, that, that's not the epitome of what you think to be a first-place club. And that's what's great about this league. You know, we're starting to inch towards the midway point of the season. And at that point, you think that we maybe got to read on some of these clubs a little bit? Because we're not there yet. I don't know if there's enough teams right now that you could look at and say, for sure, oh yeah, that's a playoff team, for sure. Maybe there's a handful, but the majority of the league, they're all kind of in the same boat right now. And that's why, you know, the Jets just getting back to 3-3 three and three was so important for them, given how their season started, you know, four plays in, losing Aaron Rodgers. The Giants, even as, you know, unimpressive they've looked, At times this season, and I know that, you know, they hung on and beat Washington last week. I get it. You know, Washington isn't exactly a world beater, but if the Giants could somehow string together another victory this week and get to three and five, well, they're just as in this thing as a lot of teams are. Because who's really good? You know, who's really unbeatable in this league right now? The team that I still think is the best in the sport when healthy, when right, San Francisco, they've just lost two straight games. Let's say hi to Richard in Manhattan. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN.
2: Hello, Rich. How are you? Dan yeah, Knicks fans shouldn't worry about Porzingis. They should wor- worry about signing quickly. That's the guy they need. Man, if that guy is a good, good guy off the bench, he'll be their best six player that they've ever had. So this guy has got a lot of potential. I'm surprised they didn't sign. I don't,
0: Richard, I don't disagree with you, but here's my thing always with quickly and what I said. If you're quickly, you know you're good. You know you're going to have a lot of offers out there. But does Emmanuel quickly want to be a guy who's stuck behind Jalen Brunson, at least for the foreseeable future, with the Knicks? He might want to go someplace and run the
2: offense by himself. You know what I mean? All right, we'll see. You know, Arizona versus Texas. First time ever in baseball history you don't have two cities or one city in a state. You have two states. Sounds like a college basketball team. He's <laughs> going to do the game. Right, Arizona, Texas. Now, yeah. 1961, the Rangers came into existence as the Senators, Washington Senators. Mm-hmm. Then they moved in 72, as we know, Ted Williams. So they've gone 62 years without winning a World Series. 62 years. I think the Minnesota Vikings are the only other expansion team that long. They came in also the same year, 61. Both, uh, But, of course, they didn't move. But the uh, Washington Senators moved. Now, I'm laughing all week. I'm hearing Jones- or Taylor Quartering. Do you realize, and I go back 60 years, but I looked in their book, 80 years, the Giants have not averaged, after seven games now, 12.1 points per game. Not in 80 years. Their worst was 1976, I believe was 12.5. Now, when you factor in that the offense is key now in football and that all the rules are slanted toward the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, and scoring is very much at a premium now. This is the worst giant offense ever. Now, we've only got seven games. Yeah. But does it matter whether it's Taylor or Jones? We're not scoring. So let's see if we can break this uh, out of 12-point record that we have. And as far as uh, I wanted to get on the phone with uh, Donnie, because mm-hmm. last Friday, Saturday night Don gave a great call the Seattle hockey game, and I wanted to ask him. Maybe you can help me, Dan. Mm-hmm. Is Dave Maloney hanging out with Aaron Boone? Because the the, the Ranger backup goalie is not Jonathan Quickly, it's Quixie. Quixie. So maybe he's learning from Boone that everyone is Quixie or you know. Well, hockey, you know Richard,
0: and hockey, and I thank you for the phone call. You know, hockey, they're great with the um with the nicknames. They love the nicknames. Everybody's got a nickname, and you throw, like, the E at the end of it, you know, for anybody's name. It's great. Hockey's unique in that sense. Knucklehead. <laughs> I love Dave. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Reminder, tomorrow we'll do a Football Friday show, but it'll be an abbreviated one. We're going to have a half hour. And then we have Knicks basketball. So it's going to be some rapid-fire calls, some picks. We'll get it all in there, like we usually do for you. Let's say hi to Joe at MedLife. He is up next here on 98.7 ESPN.
1: Joe, how are you? Good. Yourself? Uh, I got what? to meet Greeny. He was at one of our uh, uh, our things for IBM, and I was uh, I was scared that he was going to torn his ACL on the field. That was great. Now, let me ask you something. I love your show, Gras. You are aces. Do you think 9-8 and eight solidifies a playoff spot in the AFC East to see what we're going through with all these teams?
0: In the AFC, do I think a team with 9 will get in as a wild card? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because every year when you think that, oh, 9's not going to be enough, no, 9 is going to be good enough. It generally is. And that was the goal at the beginning of the season. You know, even with the Jets, like if you weren't going to win the division, just get in. Nine should be able to do the trick because all these teams, just as I got done saying in the previous segment, all these teams that you think are world beaters and this one can't be stopped and they're going to – everything kind of evens out over the course of a long season. Schedules get harder. Like I told you, Miami, Buffalo, look at the teams that they still have to play the rest of the way. It is a gauntlet. Last year, nine got in in the AFC. You forget about it, but Miami got in with nine. So I think that that's going to happen again this year. I mean, right now, if you look at the AFC, okay, who can can we chop anybody off? New England, we could chop off. They're done. Goodbye. Um, Everybody in the north is still in it. In the south, I don't know if you're getting a wild card out of the south, but obviously we know by default somebody's got to win that division. I guess from top to bottom, Jacksonville is still the team to beat. The reason maybe you don't necessarily rule out an AFC South team is because that division is so bad that they're going to play those teams with a little bit more frequency to where they could stack up some wins. Out West, you can knock the Broncos out of there. I think you could already knock the Raiders out of there, even though they're three and four. And the Chargers are just too damn inconsistent for my liking. So I think all three of those teams, not named Kansas City, are out of the running already on that side of the ledger. So... Push comes to shove, I still think 9 is going to be good enough to get you in. We'll see. Hey, in a perfect world, get the 10 so you don't have to worry about playing that game. You 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 can't look too far down the road. That's why this one on Sunday for the Jets is a huge game against the Giants. Forget about the fact you're favored. Forget about the fact you should win and who's injured on the Giants' side. Take that one, and then you move on to the next one. You got the Chargers. Coming cross country to play on Monday night. You know that place is going to be jacked up. That is a game that you also should win. And then when you go out to the Raiders and play them, you probably be favored in that game as well. But you can't get to 6-3 and three unless you get to 4-3 first. And that's why you can't overlook the game Sunday. Bobby in Belmore is up next here on 9870 ESPN. Hello, Bobby. How are you? Hello, Bobby. Bobby going once. Ah, you see that? He had an opportunity here before we got out of Dodge. He could have made some revelatory point. But he didn't do it. Congrats to Dusty Baker, by the way. He retired. Stepping away from the Houston Astros. I'll tell you, Dusty Baker to me, and I tweeted this out, I think it was last night when the news came out. To me, Dusty Baker, absolutely he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But his career as a manager to me, is almost one that's underrated. Because until last season rolled around and he finally got that elusive World Series championship, a lot of people tried to poke holes into Dusty Baker's resume and tell you, oh, well, you know, but he still hasn't won the big one. Still doesn't have that World Series ring, right? 2002 with the Giants, he was in great shape in Game 6. Russ Ortiz left him in too long. Angels came all the way back and won it. 2003, he was at the helm of the Steve Bartman game and the Cubbies who squandered away that series. To the Marlins. But the thing about Dusty Baker, wherever the guy went, the guy won. Wherever he went, he turned it around, and he got you to the playoffs. Think about that. Five different stops as a manager. He won the division in all five places. You can't say that for a lot of guys. You can't make that case. And so it was good for him to finally – be able to lift that trophy last year for the Houston Astros. And remember, when they were in the middle of all that scandal in 2020, once all that cheating stuff came to light, Dusty might have been like the only guy that the Astros could have hired to bring calm to that situation and to restore a little bit of credibility and respect to the franchise. Because I don't know if there's a person in baseball that doesn't like or respect Dusty Baker. So it was a no-brainer. And he got him to a World Series in 21, got him to the World Series, and they won it in 22. And then this year, I mean, it looked like they were going to go back, but just couldn't muster up that magic one last time. I actually thought that he got a raw deal in Washington, believe it or not, with the Nationals. Remember, they fired him after two years on the job, and all he did in those two years on the job was won the division both years, won 95 or more games, but, you know, because of other issues where – Guys were in the lineup, not in the lineup, injuries, whatever, you know, as we saw in this postseason. Playoffs are a crapshoot in Major League Baseball. But congrats to him. He had a great career, really and truly, and we'll see him in Cooperstown here before long. Mets, on the other hand, speaking of managers, Mets have been received or they've been granted permission to talk to Craig Council of the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, it's obvious that that's who the Mets' first choice is the David Stearns relationship, and as we know, that David Stearns is the guy who is running the show for the Mets baseball operations. I think, though, when you look at this meeting and however many interviews they have or conversations, I think it's more about peace of mind for Craig Council because Craig Council is essentially, you know, he's a Midwest guy. He's from Wisconsin. He's managing at home right now. He's got the family, the kids who are, you know, in high school. Some of them are in, a couple of them are in college out there. Does he really want to uproot and move here to the East Coast to where he's going to manage the Mets. You know that Steve Cohen's going to put a big fat check in front of him. He's making about $3.5 million managing the Brewers. You know, if Steve Cohen puts an offer up there of, you know, $6 million per year and change, can Milwaukee, will Milwaukee even answer that? Who knows?